And I said, well, how are you doing? She said, well, that depends on how you answer this question. I said, "Uh, okay. She said, I was talking to Melissa and she said, y'all had service today. And and I, I know I saw a video where you were standing out in the parking lot. And you were saying that there was ice and the snow and there was not going to be a service. But Melissa couldn't find it and she didn't see it and she said there was service. She said, so if there was a video, I'm okay. If there's not a video, then something's really bad wrong. And I said, well, there was, but it was several weeks ago. Somehow when she got on Facebook, it pulled up a like a four-week-old video that last time we had to dismiss for snow. And she saw that, assumed it was for that day. Melissa was telling her, no, there was no video. So she was real, real concerned about her mental state there for a little while. So it, it was all worked out well, though. She was glad to find out there was a video. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 7 in just a little bit. Now, integrity is something that's often missing in our world today. News stories pretty regularly revolve around people being busted doing things they shouldn't be doing. Uh, last year, 2020, was in fact a, a rough year. Not so much for what I would call regular famous people, um, but for Christian famous people. There were lots of ministers and lots of pastors that either I knew or I knew of uh, that at various times things came out and they were doing things they were not supposed to be doing. They had had affairs. They were having affairs. They were crooked in their finances uh, or whatever. But it happens all over, and we see it in the news quite frequently. In fact, these things happen so often that we're really not even surprised. When the news covers someone, it's not like we go, gosh, I never thought anybody would do anything like that. We're, we're not even surprised by it anymore. But what we always have to recognize, though, is it's not just the people in the public, the public eye, the famous people that do these sorts of incidents. Uh, regular people are just as prone to doing these things as famous people are. In fact, we probably all can think of regular people who have cheated on their spouse, embezzled money. They have done things the same sort of ways that that these famous people have done. And the only difference really is that they weren't famous. And so it didn't make the evening news. But when you look at them, whether they be famous people or they be regular people, when you boil down the issue, it comes down to one thing. Every single case. There is a, a lack of... Of integrity, right? There is a basic lack of integrity in their lives. Now, when we talk about integrity, it's important to understand what integrity isn't and what integrity is. Many people assume integrity is basically a synonym for perfection, right? And so, if we say I'm a follower of Christ, but we're not perfect as followers of Christ, we lack integrity and we're hypocrites. That is simply not the case. Integrity, uh, the best way to understand it is being who you say you are. Right? You could understand integrity as the opposite of hypocrisy. Right? So if we say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but we fail to live up to that standard sometimes, that doesn't make us hypocrites. That makes us humans who are pursuing Jesus Christ, but fail to live up to the standard He has set and the standard we want to live up to ourselves. A hypocrite, on the other hand, is someone that really doesn't even want to live for Jesus, but they want others to think they are living for Jesus. But the essence of a hypocrite is someone who is putting on a show. They, 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 in their heart, there is no desire, no real outstanding really want to live for Jesus, but 
They want you to think they live for Jesus. They want the public to think they live for Jesus. That person is a hypocrite. So integrity is being who you say you are. But integrity is being the same in public as you are in private. But if you act one way at home where you can just be you and another way out in public where people can see you and, and will think differently about you, you may be a, have a lack of integrity. You may be a hypocrite. But if you're essentially the same, you have integrity. You're, you're not a hypocrite. Integrity is being the same when you're uh, at home as you are when you're on the job. It's being the same when you're surrounded by people you know as you are when you're surrounded by people you don't know. Right? So again, if living in Gaiman I act one way because this is who people think I am and who I'm supposed to be, but then I go off on a vacation to the other side of the country where nobody knows who I am and I live in a vastly different way, then I, I probably am a hypocrite. I probably lack basic integrity. And, and it will come out at some point in my life. But if I'm the same person in whether I go to Los Angeles as I am when I'm in Gaiman, then I probably have integrity. I probably am not a hypocrite. The psalm we're going to look at tonight, Psalm 7, it deals with the issue of integrity and how important it was for David and what it did for him in his life. So open your Bible to Psalm chapter 7. Should be 406, page 416 in the Pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. We'll look at all 17 verses. O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from them that persecute me. Deliver me. Lest He tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to him that was at peace with me, yea, if I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about for their sakes, and therefore return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright of heart. God judgeth the righteous. God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not... He will wet his sword and he will bend his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him instruments of death. He hath ordained arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Title of the message tonight is The Power of Integrity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Guide us tonight and help us to lay aside the cares of life we may have brought in. Let our hearts and minds be centered and focused upon you. Let your spirit come and take the word and make it living and active in our lives. And Father, if we're here 
And we do kind of live with a basic lack of integrity. Let your word press upon us about this. Let your word convict us and show us where we err and what we need to do. Father, if we if we don't, if we do live with integrity, then Lord, let your spirit take the word and encourage us and strengthen us and help us to keep on. Father, in a world filled with compromise, in a world where people are rarely who they say they are, let us be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. Let us be different for his sake because of what he has done in us and is doing through us and for us. Make us men and women of integrity that people know we are who we say we are. We are disciples of Jesus everywhere we go and in all we do. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak your word and your ways for your glory. We ask in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. But you may be seated. Now the heading over the psalm gives us a, a bit of an idea of what was going on. It's a, a song of David, which he sang into the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Now, we don't know much about Cush the Benjamite, but from this psalm we can learn a few things about him. We know when Saul was king, he had people seeking to find and kill David. He had people spying for David, uh, spying on David, and who sought to gain favor with Saul by informing on David. And it seems that some of those who informed on David to Saul made stuff up about him. Right? So it wasn't... Because, I mean, think about it. We, from what we know of David's life, if they had told the truth, there would have been nothing to report. So they would have to make stuff up. David said this, David is doing that, David is acting in this manner in order to stir, keep Saul, Saul stirred up. Now, from what we see in this psalm, Cush the Benjamite was one of those people who informed upon David. From the wording in the psalm, we, I think we can conclude that he was one of the people who made stuff up about David. Look, what he says in verse 3 through 5 uh, seems to be a response to specific accusations. And David's response, we'll see when we get there, is, I haven't done those things. Right? And so they are, they have made things up about him. Now the major theme in the book, in this particular psalm, is David's integrity before God. Right? Despite what was going on in David's life, despite what other people were saying about him, David had maintained his integrity before God. David maintained his integrity to such an extent that he, he invites the Lord to judge him in verse 8, to examine him. David's integrity was based upon two realities. David, one, had a relationship with God, and David, two, understood God would judge him one day. It's the same for us. It is the same for us. Our integrity is integrity before Jesus. That's where it matters. And our integrity is based upon our relationship with Jesus and our accountability to Jesus. But because I know Jesus, I will live a certain way. And because I will give an account to Jesus, I will live a certain way. And, and His accountability is the one that matters. Being misunderstood by people is acceptable so long as I'm doing what Jesus would have me to do. See, our efforts, our desire to live for Jesus, the ultimate goal of this is not to be moral necessarily. Being moral isn't the goal. The goal is to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. 
Morality will not necessarily produce a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. We all know moral people who are lost. But being a fully devoted disciple of Jesus, it will always produce morality. But for it to do that, we must live with integrity before the Lord. So our integrity is motivated by our relationship and our accountability to Jesus. Now in this passage, we're given three, uh, the power of integrity is, is demonstrated in three different ways. So here are three, three things integrity will do for us if we live with integrity. Number one is integrity gives us a clear conscience. Now David starts the psalm by affirming his faith and his trust in God. David understood God was his refuge. And when people persecuted him, he could go to God. And God was the only person who could protect him and the person he could always rely upon. David understood that his enemies were trying to tear his soul like a lion, rend it in pieces. There was none but God who could deliver him. And after affirming his confidence in God, David begins to state he is a man of integrity. He has not done the things they've accused him of doing. In verses 3 and 4, David defends his integrity by stating three things he had not done. Right? There was one in verse 3, there's no iniquity in his hands. Now hands in the Bible are often used to refer to what we do. David is saying he has not done sinful things. He has not lived and done injustice. He has not taken advantage of others. He has not done what's wrong. Verse 4, he has not rewarded evil to those who were at peace with him. Right? So there was nobody in the world who could say, I did good for David. And in return, David did evil to me. David returned my good for evil. They couldn't say that. And thirdly, it talks about, uh, or have deli- I have not delivered mine, delivered him that was with it that is my enemy without a cause. In other words, he had not plundered someone. David had not just found someone and attacked them and made them his enemy for no reason. Everybody he had attacked, everyone he had fought, and of course we know David was a warrior. He had fought. For a reason. Now, these seem to be the basic accusations Cush the Benjamite had made against him. David's hands were dirty. David had rewarded evil for those who had done good. And David attacked those who were not his enemy for no reason. But David isn't merely just saying he didn't do these things. He is also saying if he is guilty of these things, let him be punished for it. Right, because notice what he says at the start of verse 3. Oh Lord my God, if I have done this. So, oh Lord my God, if I have iniquity in my hands. If I have rewarded evil to him who is at peace with me. If I have plundered those who were not my enemies. But notice it goes on. Then, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Then let him tread down my life upon the earth. Then let him lay mine honor in the dust. But what David was saying was, he wasn't just saying, God, I haven't done these things. He was saying, God, not only have I not done these things, I, I invite you, examine me. And if I have, let me suffer the consequences my sins deserve. 
That's a bold statement. I mean, that is a, a bold statement for David to make. David's conscience or David's integrity gave him a clear conscience. To such an extent, he said he would be willing, if they could prove it, bring forth an actual witness. And if I've done it, punish me according to what the sin deserves. You know, one of the, the results of having a fallen nature is the perverse pleasure we often seem to take in watching people wallow when they fall. I mean, that's why if somebody famous falls, there's almost 24-7 coverage of their every move. There is big money in covering the moral failures of celebrities because regular people enjoy seeing them brought down a notch and seeing them in their misery. But again, it's not just this perverse pleasure isn't just reserved for celebrities. It is for all people. And this is, I think, especially true for anyone who would claim to have a high level of morality. This is why people watch those who of us who claim to be disciples of Jesus so closely. We oppose, as disciples of Jesus, many things our culture says is okay. We stand against many moral ills and evils of our society. We talk about being saved from sin. We talk about serving a, a holy God. We, we explain that, that this book guides our lives and how we think and how we talk and how we act and how we react. And so people naturally watch us to see if we do what we say we do, if our walk matches our talk. And at times, as Christians, we, we push back and say, well, that's not fair. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be an example. I'm just, I'm just a disciple. I'm just a Christian and I'm not perfect and so I'm not anybody's example. But what we have to realize is Jesus expects our walk to match our talk as well. The Bible constantly tells us we, we are to be who we say we are. We are to be who Jesus says we're to be. Look at this passage. He says, but, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So first, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This essentially, it means to, to be fully devoted to the Lord in every area of our lives. Right. So I, I'm to be fully devoted to the Lord. So if somebody comes up and, and this is to be seen in the way I live. So people will see a difference in how I live. They will see my devotion to Jesus. And then they will say, Red, why do you live the way you live? Red, why are you so different than the way you were 40 years ago? Why do you do what you do? Why do you talk like you talk? Why do you prioritize your life like you do? And then we can give them an answer to the hope that we have within us. That's how we're to live. That's what we're supposed to do. Every single one of us as disciples of Jesus. But notice what he goes on to say. Having a good conscience that where they speak evil of you as evildoers... They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Having a good conscience means we live what we say. We say I've sanctified the Lord God in my heart. And we live in a way that demonstrates we have sanctified the Lord God in our heart. And we do this in part so that when people speak evil of us, they'll be ashamed. Now, 
It doesn't mean that they'll be ashamed because we catch them and beat them into a bloody pulp. It doesn't mean because they've talked about us, now we talk about them, and because we have more influence, we ruin their lives bigger than they've messed up ours. It doesn't mean that they're ashamed because we argue them into submission. It means we live in such a way that if somebody were to go out and say, Gerald Brooks did this, the people they were talking to would say, there's no way I know Gerald Brooks. There's no way he would do that. And they'll be put to shame by the lies they're telling about us. That's how we're supposed to live as disciples of Jesus. Above reproach, with integrity, sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. And the only way we can do this is to be who we say we are. To live what we say we believe. Or To live with integrity. Integrity gives us a clear conscience. A clear conscience where we would say, if I've done what they say I've done, then let me suffer the consequences I deserve. Let my reputation be destroyed. And we say that not arrogantly, but we say it with confidence because we know we haven't done those things. There is no proof because it does not exist. When our integrity is motivated by our relationship and our accountability to Jesus, it enables us to live with a clear conscience. Secondly, integrity enables us to live with a clear conscience. Secondly, integrity gives us confidence with God. So you look at verse 6. David says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. Awake For me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. Now the words arise O Lord. Lift up thyself and awake. Is is essentially David calling on God to rise up and bring justice to this unjust situation. And to bring the justice in such a way that the congregation of the people will essentially see God's judgment. Now of course what he's saying is. You rise up, O God, and you bring judgment, and it's going to demonstrate that I'm just. It's going to demonstrate I have lived with integrity, and the nation, the congregation, the people will see. In the end, it will prove out David had not done wrong. Cush the Benjamite is a filthy liar. That's what David's hoping for. That's what David's expecting. He's lived with integrity. He's got confidence with God to pray this way. But notice he goes on. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. David is calling on God to judge the people, himself included, according to their actions. And then give them what their actions deserve. Now. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know the law was strict and stern. And the law had blessings for those who kept the law and curses on those who broke the law. And so essentially what David's doing here is saying, God, rise up and judge all of us. And if we deserve blessings because we've kept the law, bless us. And if we deserve the curses of the law because we broke the law, curse us. In fact, he goes so far in verse 9 to say, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. 
Right? Essentially, the ultimate end of breaking the law was death. David is saying, let them be killed for their iniquity and for their sin, for breaking the law. But establish the just. What David is basically asking God to do here is to curse those who deserve cursing and give them the full extent of what the law demands and then to bless those who deserve to be blessed and make it clear they had kept the law and they were righteous. And in verse 8, he calls on God to judge him and the people according to the righteous way they had kept the law. Give them each what they deserved according to the way they had kept the law. Now, keep in mind, David fully expects to be one of those who's established. He expects at the end of God's judgment, if he does this, that David will be standing. He will be established and it will be evident to the congregation that he has done what is righteous. David is confident. He has lived according to the standards of the law. He will be established. He will be blessed. And according to verse 10, his defenses of God which saveth the upright of heart, he will be saved from the punishment of the wicked. Again, think of it. That's a bold statement, right? God, judge all of us in here and give us what our actions deserve. That's a big thing. David's integrity gave him confidence with God. Now, obviously, we're not under the law. Jesus has delivered us from that. And we all say, thank you, Jesus, for that. But there is something similar we could go off of. Right? So the, 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 the blessings and the cursings of the law, they're not for us. That would not apply for us. The Bible does give us a law we are under. The law of sowing and reaping, right? Galatians 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit of the Spirit shall reap life everlasting. So where David prayed for God to judge injustice and give each person what they deserve, we might pray for God to act in justice and let everyone us included, fully receive, fully reap what we have sown. That's what we would do if we were living, if we were trying to do what David did. Oh Lord, if I have done these things, judge us. And if I have lived according to the flesh, then let me reap corruption. Let us reap corruption. And if I have lived to the flesh, let us reap life everlasting. In essence, do it in a way that everyone sees so that it's obvious who's who, who's righteous and who's not. Now, if we've lived with integrity, we really could pray that way. If we lived with integrity before God, we could pray that way. And then, like David, expect we would reap of the Spirit everlasting life. That's what integrity does. It gives us that kind of a confidence. Living it with integrity before God, it doesn't earn us God's favor. It doesn't make God love us anymore. But it does give us confidence with God. Confidence in something like the law of sowing and reaping. But that's not the only way it would give us confidence. The, the living with integrity before God, it, it gives us confidence in our relationship with Jesus. It enables us 
to have experiences of his presence and his leadership, we are going to miss out on if we aren't living with integrity. I know from my own life, when I have not lived with integrity, there were difficulties in my relationship. There was a lack of confidence. Maybe I wasn't certain of my salvation. I wasn't certain my prayers were being heard. Many times our uncertainties, not, not always necessarily, but many times our uncertainties about spiritual realities, they stem because we're living with a lack of integrity. Think about the idea of, of judgment. You know, the Bible talks about two judgments. There is the, the judgment where it's depart from me, I never knew you, you're cast in a lake of fire. Then there is the judgment where we stand before the Lord and all of our works are judged. The wood, hay, and the stubble burns up. The gold, silver, and precious stones remain. If, if, if the thought of standing before the Lord in judgment were uncertain, am I going to hear, well done, or am I going to be cast aside? I mean, that's not the way the Bible says we're supposed to live. We shouldn't live that way. So we have to ask why. Why am I afraid when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to be cast aside. I'm going to be cast in a lake of fire. What is the problem? Now, there could be something else. There could be other spiritual issues. But let's not underestimate the possibility that the issue is we're not living with integrity. Or if we're afraid that when we stand before the Lord and our works are displayed, everything is going to burn up. Why why would we think that? I mean, if we're living with integrity, wouldn't there be plenty of gold, silver, and precious stones piled up waiting for the judgment to to be displayed, to reveal the life we've lived? Isn't it possible? The reason we're afraid everything is going to burn up is because we're not living with integrity. We're, We're living one way in private and another way in public. Living with integrity, it gives us this confidence with God. Not arrogance by any stretch of the imagination, but confidence. We will not have apart from integrity. Again, I'm not saying every fear like that is a lack of integrity. But what I am saying is a lack of integrity will always make that kind of fear. It will always rob us of any confidence we have with God and before God. When our integrity is motivated by our relationship and our accountability to Jesus, it allows us to have confidence with God. So integrity gives us a clear conscience. Integrity gives us confidence with God. Integrity protects us from the consequences of sin. Verse 11 through 16, David begins to to run through Consequences of sin. He he says in verse 11, King James says, God judges the righteous. Most translations say God is a righteous judge or something along those lines. That seems to be the greater implication of what is being said there. Because God is a righteous judge and he's angry with the wicked. Is That would make more sense. So what David is saying is God is a righteous judge. So God is going to judge... And it is going to be a righteous judgment. Now, the idea of God being a righteous judge found all throughout the Psalms, it's really common. 
And it's a double-edged sword as far as how we feel about that, I think. On the one hand, well, that's really encouraging. I mean, God is going to judge in the way that is righteous. God is going to judge everyone the same way. He is going to judge everyone by the same standard. And and it's a standard which has been revealed. And it's a standard which has been proclaimed. It is a standard which can be known. I was, when I was in the army, had a class. And it was, I was in school and they wanted me to teach a class on how to dig a, a fighting position or a foxhole. And so I taught it according to the book that we had in that class to do it with. But because I was an infantryman, and my teacher was an infantryman. He expected me to give details which were not in the book. We did it. I just did it by the book. Not the way we did I did it by the book. He was angry with me. Because you know in the field you do it this, this, and this, and this. I said, yeah, but that was in the book. He was judging me by a standard he wouldn't have judged someone who was a clerk by. It was an unrighteous judgment. When we stand before the Lord, he's not going to go. But yeah, you were in Oklahoma, so you had this and you should have done this. He's going to judge everyone by exactly the same standard. That's encouraging. I I don't have to to worry about it. I've, I've got this. I've read through this. I'm not going to stand before the Lord. And there's going to be a judgment I wasn't prepared for. There was going to be a judgment I didn't know about. There's not going to be a question on the test that wasn't in the book. That's encouraging. That's helpful. But at the same time, that is kind of a scary thought. God will judge humanity, the sin of man, in an absolute and a just way. Justice will be served. And every sin will receive its just reward. Every sin will either be punished by Christ on the cross or by us in eternity. Every sin. But it isn't just true of of us. This is true for our children and our grandchildren and our spouses and our parents and our neighbors and our siblings and our friends and our co-workers. The righteous judge... We'll judge everyone by exactly the same standard. Caitlin and Sarah will not get a buy because their daddy was a preacher and a pastor. They will be judged by the same standard I will be. And if they have not repented of their sins, and if they have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will perish despite their dad being a preacher, despite... The lineage of Christianity in their family. Everyone receives the same righteous judgment. God has no favorites who will get special treatment. That can be a scary thought. Because in our world, we see justice doesn't work that way in our world, does it? The rich and the powerful clearly get one set of rules. And then there are the the poor and the downtrodden who also get a different set of rules many times. And so there are multiple sets of rules on how you're going to be judged in our culture. 
But God isn't that way. It is absolute and pure justice on judgment day for all people of all stripes, the rich and the poor and everyone in between. And that can be a terrifying thought, but that is what is coming. Now, in verse 14 through 16, I'm sorry, verse 12 and 13, David describes God as he will wet his sword and he hath bent his bow and made it ready. And, and, and this pictures, and it was 13, he has prepared an instrument of death and ordained arrows against the persecutors. The picture here, verse 12 and 13, is a soldier going to war. Right? When soldiers in this day were set to war, they sharpened their swords. They made sure they were ready. And they got their bows. And they had, maybe they hadn't been used. And to make sure the bow hadn't got brittle, they, they bend it and they string it. And then they pull it back to make sure that in the moment of battle, it's not going to break. The string isn't going to break. The, the, the picture is God preparing Himself to come. And to institute, to bring justice onto sinful people. Then in verse 14 through 16, the picture shift. Talks about someone travailing with iniquity. So in verse 12 and 13, you've got God in heaven preparing to bring judgment. In verses 14, 15, you've got the wicked doing wickedly. They are travailing with iniquity. They have conceived mischief and they have brought forth falsehood. Now, travaileth and conceived and brought forth are, are, are also are also essentially pregnancy terms. Right? They they conceived it. They travailed with it. And then they brought it forth. And it pictures someone going through a lot of effort to do sin, to do their iniquity. They, they conceive it, they plan it, they travail to make it come to pass, and then they do, they bring it to pass. And he talks about in verse 15, they, they make a pit, they dig it. And, and it pictures someone like a bandit on a road. right? Someone like they dig a hole and they put spikes in it. And then they cover it up. And the hopes is somebody will walk along and fall in the pit. And then when they fall in the pit, they can jump in on them. And they can take them. And they can kill them. And they can take their stuff. But notice what's going to happen instead. They make a pit. They dig it. But then they fall in the ditch which they have made. His mischief shall return upon his own head. And his violent dealing shall come upon his own pate. And it's just a picture of different ways of sowing and reaping. They've sown this sin. And now they're reaping the consequences of the plotting and the mischief. And the point for us is if we live a life of integrity, we won't fall into the ditch we have made. If we live a life of integrity, our mischief will not come back upon our own head. If we live a life of integrity, our violent dealings won't come down upon our own pates. 
Now, this isn't saying if we live a life of integrity, we won't have problems. We will. It is saying if we live a life of integrity, we will not reap of the flesh destruction. Right? When I was a young preacher, I was very self-righteous. Terribly self-righteous. I'm often ashamed at how bad I was. And when I would see someone, particularly a preacher, fall into sin, it would anger me. Anger me to the level that my anger was sin itself and how self-righteous I was in it. But now that I'm older, I understand the story of the woman caught in adultery better. You know the story, the woman's caught in adultery. They say we ought to stone her. That's what the law said. Jesus says stone them, man. It was without sin. And they departed. Which way? From the oldest to the youngest. The youngest were still really self-righteous, but the oldest. A little more aware of their own depravity. So now when I see someone fall like that, it's not a quick jump to stone them, I think, there, but by the grace of God, go I. Right? And I, I grieve. I grieve for them. I grieve for their church. I grieve for their family. And I, I, I desperately, desperately, I don't want to be that guy. I, I don't want to be... The guy who dies. And after my death, they find all of this horrid sin I had hid all of these years. I I don't want to be someone who destroys my marriage. Hurts our church. I I don't want my kids to go off at some point and be like, I believe, but then my dad, look at what he did. How could I believe in God after that? I, I don't want to be that guy. But here's the key to that. Don't be that guy. If, if I don't want Kelly to leave me because I've committed adultery, there is a key to that. Don't commit adultery. If I don't want all of this horrid sin to be found after I die, there's a key to that. Don't live in horrid sin while I'm alive. That, that's the point David is making here. If we don't want to reap the consequences of a hypocritical, sinful life, there is a way around that. Don't live a hypocritical, sinful life. And if we live with integrity, we'll be spared the consequences from our sin. Because it won't be there to come falling down upon us. When our integrity is motivated by our relationship and accountability to Jesus, it will protect us from the consequences of sin. Now, this passage has spoken very clearly and very sternly about those who don't live a life of integrity. But, and this is the good news, it holds out hope for us. Look at the first of verse 12. If he turn not, there is a way to be spared from the consequences of sin. It is to turn to God from our sin. Part of the righteousness of God's judgment is God turning from pouring out His judgment upon us after we've repented and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Jonah is such a great example of that. God was going to pour out a righteous judgment on Nineveh. And Jonah walked through the city and preached a message. And the people from the king to the least turned and cried out to God for mercy. And what did God do? God showed them 
mercy. That was a righteous judgment of God to spare them on that day. If we have not lived with integrity, if we have lived hypocritically, if we have lived in sin, it's bad. It is. I don't want to undermine it. But there is a way out. And that is to turn. To turn before it all falls down. To turn before Jesus comes back. To turn before it's too late. Jesus is calling us. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. And so that's what we must do. God will spare us. God will give us mercy and grace if we will turn to Jesus instead of continue down the path of our sin. If you live a life of integrity before God, keep it up. The world needs more people of integrity, just in general. But the world desperately needs to see disciples of Jesus be who they say they are. The world desperately needs us to live with integrity before God. And if you have not lived a life of integrity before God, repent now, tonight, before it's too late. Repent not only of the sin you're hiding, but repent also of the sin of hypocrisy. For hypocrisy is a sin all on its own. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Experience forgiveness. And start anew. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Father, we are thankful for your grace and your goodness. We are thankful for your word. Lord, there is a day of judgment coming. And while the judgment is in so many ways a fearful thought, Lord, it is not something we have to be unprepared for. You have told us how to prepare. You have told us about Jesus who can save us from the judgment to come. You, you have revealed to us all we need. All we have to do is turn. All we have to do is cry out. Thank you for that. Father, I pray for my precious church family here. Father, guide us and let us be men and women of integrity. Let us live before the world exactly who we say we are as disciples of Jesus. Let us sanctify you in our hearts. Let that be seen in our lives. And let people consistently ask us, why do you live the way that you live? And let us tell them about the Savior who came. Let us live with such integrity that if someone were to falsely accuse us of sin, even unbelievers would say, that's just not right. There's no way they would do that. Let us be shining lights in a dark world. And let us shine as brightly at home when no one's around as we do when we're out in public and everybody sees. Have your way in our hearts and in our lives. Draw us to you. Strengthen us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're dismissed.